Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Today is uh, week nine, I believe, of our Truth of Happiness Dhamma study. This class is on karma and rebirth. Um, like much of what the Buddha taught, uh, he taught karma and rebirth in a uh, a contradictory way to what karma to how karma and rebirth was presented during his time, and certainly today. Um, karma is not, uh, despite the way it's portrayed, some um, type of grand universal behavior modification system based on reward and punishment. Um, That alone um, uh, obviates the Buddha's Dhamma, doesn't it? Because it infers uh, an outside agency, um, either an individual or some grand uh, amorphous system working on us to correct our behavior in a collective way. I mean, when you really think about that, how insane could, could any notion be? Yet, We've adopted that as a human race, basically, as our way of looking at ourselves in relation to the world. Um, And that comes from um, uh, not being sure of our own behavior or not feeling safe in our own behavior. Uh, And I won't get too deep into this, but uh, human beings are deeply affected when they hurt people inadvertently. It's much more... um, uh, impactful on our on our own psyche when we hurt people or ourselves inadvertently without any intention. You would think that it's the other way around, but it isn't. And the reason why is because when it's unintentional, it's an aspect of ignorance, and it's very easy to continue to ignore that type of behavior and so continue with that type of behavior. Uh, I know that's a little bit subtle, um, but it's one of the key things that the Buddha awakened to, and it relates directly to the teachings on karma and also a general belief that there's some outside agency working on me to somehow improve me. Again, think about that for a moment. If I'm if I'm depending on an outside agency to improve me in some way, it means that I must believe that I need improvement or that there's something broken with me. Again, it's it's a uh, it's a fabricated belief rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. And it has nothing to do with um, human comparison, meaning uh, comparing people, human beings' behavior be, uh, between each other. In other words, um, I'm a better person than you because I'm more moral than you, or I'm a better person than you because I'm taller than you, or I'm shorter than you, or I'm whiter than you, or blacker than you, or I'm more of a woman than you, or more of a man than you. And aren't we doing that with, with everything in our life today? We're so focused on those kind of things. At the, we're, we're so focused on the things that divide us. And yet there's this underlying theme, and I'm getting a little bit off, off on, onto my high horse. We're focused on all the things that divide us, but yet in a general way we're insisting that we're all one organism. Both are false and both are making us crazy as human beings. The truth of the matter is we're not connected in any other way except the fact that we're all human beings. And we're all trying to understand what it means to be a human being. The difference between Dhamma practitioners and other folks is, and this only relates to the Dhamma, is we are practicing the Dhamma. We're practicing something that gives us understanding of the, uh, of the subtle way 
that societal thinking keeps us rooted in ignorance. And karma and rebirth, sorry for the long introduction, but karma and rebirth are such perfect examples of this. Karma is not a universal behavior modification system. Karma is the present moment unfolding of past intentional acts, that's important, intentional acts, moderated by the present level of mindfulness. A lot of words, what does it mean? It means that by our intention, we set a, a, a certain direction for our life. In other words, we set the foundation for how we're going to experience our life. Excuse me. And then the ultimate experience of life as life unfolds is moderated by what we're holding in mind or how we're viewing what's occurring. Is that clear to, to all of you? Please speak up if it's not because it's a key point. So again, what does that mean? It means that if I am experiences this experiencing this moment in my life from the point of view of wrong view, meaning a view rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, then that view can only lead to giving birth in this moment to another moment rooted in ignorance. Again, is that clear to everyone? It's the way that I'm thinking, or another word for that is what I'm holding in mind as my reference, mindfulness, true mindfulness, that will determine my experience of what's occurring. I have no control or virtually no control over what I'm going to experience. The weather rolls in, uh, you know, with the, a, a virus rolls in, government make, make regulations. There's nothing I can do about so many things that happen in the world. My best friend is mad at me. My wife is mad at me. My boyfriend is mad at me. Girlfriends are mad at me. Everybody's mad at me. It doesn't matter. It's got nothing to do with me. And I can't do anything about it. What I can do is take a breath, understand what's occurring from the point of view of right view, and so not contribute to another moment rooted in stress, another moment, moment giving, that would give birth to, to more ignorant um, experiences. Karma is a present moment unfolding of past intentional actions moderated by present moment mindfulness, what we're holding in mind. And so the Dhamma is designed to take us from a, a mind rooted in ignorance, wrong mindfulness, and through the Eightfold Path, rooted in jhana meditation, develop right view or right mindfulness, meaning knowing what to hold in mind as our life experience and what to recognize and abandon as hurtful. Excuse me. And that last is just as important as the first. In other words, the Buddha taught that right mindfulness is holding in mind the tenets of the Eightfold Path as our life experience. He further taught that wrong mindfulness is holding in mind anything else, especially as our life experience or as our Dhamma practice. He was very clear about that. So mindfulness in general is not the wonderful thing that everything, everybody portrays it as today. It's really become the modern religion today. Everybody's talking about mindfulness and I'm being mindful. They'll, they'll use phrases like mindfulness meditation. There's no such thing taught by the Buddha, meaning mindfulness meditation. He taught jhana meditation. And I won't get too deep into that. We, we touched on right mindfulness when we reviewed the, uh, the Eightfold Path. So the Buddha's words on karma. I am the owner of my actions, the heir to my actions. I am born of my actions. That's an important line there. I am born of my actions and related through my actions. My actions will determine the fortune or misfortune in my life. That's an entire Dhamma teaching. And notice it doesn't talk about karma in relation to any type of outside agency. I am the heir to my actions. Whatever my actions are, I will receive them. And of course, it doesn't mean, uh, it's not this one-to-one -one relationship that the world portrays as uh, this behavior modification system. It simply means that 
however I view myself in relation to the world will determine the experience of my actions or the results of my actions. It's what I'm holding in mind. Um, that, that line, I am born of my actions. So again, the, the modern Buddhism in most of the world has decided that the Buddha taught somehow, some way of, of manipulating future physical births. And nothing is further from the truth. Truth, we've touched on this often just in this study, that the Buddha t- taught continuously to avoid establishing any type of non-physical present. In other words, to, to speculate about who or what you might be, whether it's in this life or the next life. Why? Because that's just a distraction and can only lead to further ignorance. I am born of my actions in this moment. This moment is, is my experience of this moment is determined by what I'm holding in mind in relation to myself and the world around me. Uh, after we're done with this study, we're going to go into the Vipassana structured study that we're now doing on Tuesdays and Saturdays. And that gets even deeper into the heart of the matter of my view of self in relation to the world I live in and the misunderstanding of that relationship that results in distraction and dukkha. The Buddha continues, my actions will determine, uh, read this again, my actions will determine the fortune or misfortune in my life. Whatever one continues to pursue with their thinking becomes the inclination of their awareness. Another word for awareness there would be mindfulness. Whatever one pursues with their thinking, again, another word for that is whatever one holds in mind, pursues with their thinking, will determine their the experience of that. Present moment unfolding of past intentional actions moderated by what we're holding in mind. If you want to improve the quality of your life, immediately, right here, right now, develop jhana meditation and right view. And that instantaneously transforms our life from wrong view to right view. Uh, I'm I'm saying something that's not really entirely possible, but just to um, point you in a certain direction. It is right here and right now that karma is experienced, and that we give birth to another moment in the present moment. It's right here and right now that we can practice the Dhamma. We cannot practice the Dhamma in the the past, obviously, and there's no Dhamma tomorrow, is there? There's only right here and right now. So all of this relates to our understanding of karma. And that's why I emphasize it so much. It's important to understand this. If you want to know what karma is, take a look in the mirror, meaning look at your own life. Jiddu Krishnamurti, I don't know if some of you have heard of him or not, uh, and I won't get into who he was, uh, but he was um, a near, I would call him a nearly awakened human being. And the reason why I say nearly awakened, he was a brilliant human being who understand the human condition. He just did not understand how to teach it. But he would often say, look at the life you're living. If you can still uh, 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 do a search on him and, and listen to some of his talks. And he would almost always begin his talks by saying, look at the life you're living, meaning be mindfully aware of your life as your life occurs. That's what the Buddha teaches. Be mindfully aware of our life as our life occurs. Then we'll understand our karma. Being mindful of right intention and abandoning thinking imbued with craving, clinging, and sensuality inclines the mind towards release. Release from what? Release from ignorant views. The Buddha continues, karma should be understood correctly. Notice he said that 2,600 years ago, knowing all the confusion around the word back then and probably looking a little bit into the future and expecting that. The cause of karma should be understood, ignorance. The diversity of the results of karma should be understood. What does that mean? The diversity means that anything can happen. 
In a world that's rooted in impermanence, in an aspect of impermanence is uncertainty, we can never know what's going to occur. So the outplaying of our karma is, is always diverse. It's never going to occur exactly the same, although because of conditioned thinking, it may seem like we're having a Groundhog Day experience. Things just keep recurring. The cessation of karma should be understood, meaning it should also be experienced. And the path developing the cessation of, of karma should be understood, meaning the Eightfold Path. Excuse me. The Buddha continues, intention is karma. Notice how this relates directly uh, to the Eightfold Path. And right intention is the intention to recognize and abandon craving for and clinging to views rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So intention is karma. If in this moment, my intention is, <coughs> excuse me, to recognize and abandon karma as it, as it manifests in my life, <coughs> then I am using this moment to gain wisdom and incline my mind towards awakening. The cessation of karma should be understood. I have to be aware of its cessation, don't I? I have to be mindful of it. I have to be looking for it. That's what the Buddha is teaching. That's true mindfulness. Excuse me. True mindfulness is not simply holding in mind whatever we decide to hold in mind. True mindfulness is holding in mind the aspect of the Eightfold Path that relates to this present moment and as that frames our view into right view of what's occurring. It's a depersonalized way of looking at, at life as life unfolds, which is awaken, an awakened right view. The Buddha continues, intention is karma. With intention, one does karma through thought, word, and deed, through right speech, right action, and right livelihood. And what is the cause that initiates karma? Contact, excuse me. You remember that aspect of dependent origination, I think it's six or seven, where the Buddha talks about the manifestation of ignorance begins with coming in contact with impermanent phenomena, contact with the sixth sense base. So it is at that point of contact that we're initiating the effects of karma, meaning we're, it is at the point of contact that we're initiating either a moment rooted in ignorance or a moment rooted in wisdom or developing wisdom. And what is the cause that initiates karma contact? It is right here and right now that we practice the Dhamma. It's right here and right now that we, that we have the ability or the opportunity, I should say, to practice wise restraint. And what is cessation of karma? How do we bring this whole thing to its conclusion? From the cessation of contact comes the cessation of karma. What does it mean? It doesn't mean that we that the, the cessation of uh, it could be read that the cessation of karma comes from the cessation of contact, or the cessation of contact comes with the cessation, from the cessation of karma. That could almost imply that the way to, to reduce karma is to end our lives. Of course, the Buddha didn't teach that, and his own life shows that. What he's saying is to understand that a mind rooted in ignorance will misinterpret what is coming in contact with its, con with its senses unless it has the wisdom of the Dhamma. So once I eliminate ignorance in my own mind, as, I, as an awakened human being, I come in contact with ordinary phenomena, that's simply informing my own wisdom of who I am in relation to the world. No karma is then created. Why? Because I understand what's occurring. There's no reaction and there's no distraction in my mind in this moment. And how does one experience a cessation of contact? Through the, noble, no, through the noble Eightfold Path. 
again, there's no ambiguity in, in what the Buddha taught or what he taught to awaken through the Eightfold Path. He never taught anything else except the Eightfold Path as a path to awaken. I'm, going to, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to conclude with this. A fool and a wise person are both characterized by their actions. So whether my actions are well framed by the Dhamma or not, my life and my, the characteriz- characterization of my behavior will be informed by that. Whether they're foolish acts or unskillful acts or acts that are rooted in skillfulness and wisdom. A fool and a wise person are both characterized by their actions. It is through the actions of one life, one's life that reveals the fool or the sage. And again, I'm using a rather strong word, the fool, just to describe someone who has come to the Dhamma and yet decides to not practice the Dhamma. That's what the Buddha is referring to. Another, another way to say that is someone who knows better and yet decides to abandon the Dhamma. In relation to the Dhamma, that human being is acting as a fool. The fool engages in three things. Bodily misconduct, verbal misconduct, and mental misconduct. The sage engages in three things. Skillful bodily conduct, skillful verbal conduct, and skillful mental conduct. Thus, friends, train, train yourself as a sage in thought, word, and deed. I'm going to leave it right there because that makes the, the, the good point there, the, the skillful point. This is, a, this is a, a dhamma of training ourselves in skillful behavior. Why? Because as we talked about in the, when we went over the virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path, it is, in, or it is through right speech, right, let me go back just a second, it is through our speech, our actions, and our livelihood that reveals the present level of our mindfulness. In other words, whatever we're holding in mind will reveal itself in our speech, our words, and our deeds. Our speech, our words, and our deeds. And our thoughts to ourselves. Always. There's no escaping that. That's why jhana meditation is so important as opposed to other meditation methods because it immediately unites our mind and our body and gives us the opportunity and ability to see what we're holding in mind, to see what our present level of mindfulness is. Why? So we can recognize it and bring it into um, the framework of the Eightfold Path. So that's my teaching on karma and rebirth. I hope it brought some clarity, but if it didn't, please uh, uh, ask me. (laughs) Jordan, I'm going to start with you. How are you today? Sure, I'm doing well, thanks. How are you doing? I didn't ask you. I'm good, thank you. Great. Um, just one question from from the, the lesson today. Um, towards the end, you talked about the cessation of karma um, through the Eightfold Path. Um, but I, from what I understood, karma isn't necessarily a bad thing it's just a state of the present moment unfolding in your appreciation of whatever is happening be it good or bad yes why karma is completely impersonal why is the talk of cessation of karma when it's just an awareness of the present moment oh it's a, it's a it's a great question because of that because as we're as we're and again remember that karma isn't isn't a solid thing it's not a real thing it's a, it's an it's a an idea that provides a context for, for teaching something. And that something is the cessation of ignorance. So we can't look for the ending of, of karma because it's not there. Again, it's just an idea. But it's an idea or a, a notion or a concept that points us, in, points us towards awakening. So it's in that way, pointing to the impermanence of karma, again, framed by the Dhamma, that it's a useful teaching. 
So the, you could say that the goal of the Dhamma is, is the cessation of karma, meaning the cessation of ignorance. Okay. And this relates, again, it's an important context, concept, uh, Jordan, that you bring up, because it, in a subtle way, it relates to all of modern Buddhism, that everything is empty and void of its own substance. So there's really nothing to do from that type of thinking, isn't it? There's no goal, and there's, there's dharmas that teach, well, there's no goal to the dharma. It's just being or, or realizing emptiness or nothingness. There is a goal to the dharma, and the Buddha teaches, he teaches it in this, in, the, in this teaching and in many other suttas. The goal of the Dhamma is to awaken. It's to recognize and abandon ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So there is something to do. There, there's something practical to develop. And, and in, that, in that way, there, there's, there's something um, palpable and practical to the Dhamma. It's not just concepts. It's only in a conceptual Dharma that there's really nothing to do because it's all rooted in concepts. So really important point, Jordan. Thanks for bringing it up. Thanks for explaining. Yeah, thanks for joining Vicky, good to see you today. Hi, John. Good to see you. Good to see everyone. Um, yeah, I'm glad I actually listened to this again. It helps. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I fully process it. So there's a lot here, isn't there? Last time. So um, I just have one question. So is it correct to say that um, kind of like the foundational thing to do then is really to maintain right view to so that we're not ignorant is that basically like kind of in a nutshell is there one thing to take away is that like a yes that that's 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 pure dhamma that's that's really pure refuge in the dhamma so thank you vicky i mean that was great yeah yeah the going from wrong view to right view is just that you know it's the cessation of karma it's it's simply understanding this is why um the, when, when magic and mysticism and speculation is applied to the Dhamma, this is why it's so, it's so hurtful, because the Dhamma is completely opposite of that or devoid of that. And whenever we hold those concepts in mind, that, and they're very subtle, that I'm, I'm looking for some kind of non-physical understanding, even in a, in a minor way, it's distracting in this moment. So it's so important to understand that this Dhamma is, is entirely practical, and it's and it's to be experienced right here and right now, and obviously that is that takes the uh, the conceptual aspects of dharmas out of it, doesn't it? Because those can't be experienced. It's right here, right now. So, great understanding, Vicky. Thank you. Did you have anything else? Um, no, I think that was my main question. Great. Thank you, Vicky. Hello, Henrietta. Hi. Good Hi. to see you. Likewise. Um, I actually don't have a question. I'm just uh, soaking it in. Did, did, it, did it make sense to you? Did, did I teach it in an understandable way, I hope? Yeah, it was. It felt straightforward to me. Good. Um, so, yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad you joined us today, Henrietta. Thank you. Hello, Tom. Hi, John. Um, yeah, so I had a... I did find it quite a lot to take in um and um i've got a couple of questions um can you just go back over the the you know when you were saying um the difference between mindfulness and uh, i can't remember what you said the difference between mindfulness and and the dharma or or um can you just reiterate or or repeat what's the 
What's the difference there? Let me know if this is the re- the reference you're referring to. <laughs> you're referring to uh, the Buddha taught that, the, and I I classify it as refined mindfulness. Not it, I don't I never came across that term in the da, in the in the suttas. But what I mean to what I mean to what I'm referring to as when I say refined mindfulness is what the Buddha taught as mindfulness. Meaning the Buddha taught a very specific application of mindfulness, meaning to hold in mind the the eight factors of the eightfold path as our way of living in the world. That's true mindfulness. So it's also knowing which aspect of that to apply to what's occurring. So in this moment, I might find that um, uh, I might find myself screaming and hollering at somebody in anger. I'll take a breath and remind myself, wait a minute, that's unskillful behavior. In that moment, I'm practicing right mindfulness. So I'm using a slightly extreme example to point out what the Buddha meant as mindfulness. So he did not teach mindfulness, meaning, uh, and I use this as an example simply because there's books written about it, that I should be mindful when I'm washing the dishes as Dhamma practice. That's not Dhamma practice, being mindful of washing the dishes when I'm washing the dishes. As an aspect of Dhamma practice, it is to be mindful of washing the dishes, but it's also being mindful of every other thing that I'm doing in relation to the Dhamma. So while I'm washing the dishes, um, I'm washing the dishes from the frame, framework of the Eightfold Path, not maybe the drudgery or the joy of washing dishes. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, so, so let's imagine that I'm washing the dishes and I spill you know, dishwater all over my new whatever sweater. And, I'm, and then in that moment, I'm really, I get angry at myself. Yeah. But then if I was um, mindful of that, but not just mindful of it, but, but, but um, I, I reminded myself of right view or something in that moment. And I realized, or the Four Noble Truths, and I, and I realized that that wasn't, um, that, that it's not the end of the world, that my sweaters covered in dishwater or whatever then that would be more sort of refined mindfulness as you as yes. you describe it is that right yes that's right and, and so you in the, the process as we develop the dhamma that process is happens instantaneously in other words we go from a reaction to an understanding we take a breath and unite our mind and our body and i don't mean that if if it takes more than an instant to do that, we're doing something wrong. It might take a full day to come out of, excuse me. It might take a full day of our lives to realize we were caught up in our own fabrications. That doesn't matter. What's important is at some point in our life unfolding, we take a breath and unite our mind back in our body. That's Dhamma practice. Both of those aspects are Dhamma practice, by the way. It's not just when we when we are in our bodies. Because that that's an awakened state. There's, we don't need dhamma practice when we're awakened. It, to understand that I have I have reacted, just to put a strong phrase out, I have lost my mind, and I have also reclaimed my mind by simply taking a breath in the context of dhamma practice. And how do I let me explain that a little bit further? If if I have no dhamma practice, I don't know anything about jhana meditation, and I find a stressful moment, <coughs> and I take a breath. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> That's simply a human reaction, isn't it? It's a human reaction to take your breath when you're stressed out. <coughs> Excuse me. And unrestrained, that leads to more stress. That's a, that releases cortisol in our body. It's an unhealthy response. But when when we do it from an under from a point of view of understanding, the repetition of dhamma practice. <gasps> 
now I'm back in my body and I can, I can make, I can use refined mindfulness correctly to say, this is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. It's something completely different. And that's also relates directly to our karma because in this moment, if I'm reacting, I'm increasing or continuing my karma. If I'm maintaining a calm and peaceful mind, I'm inclining my karma to cessation because I'm holding in mind right view in this moment. So yeah. is that clear, Tom? Yeah, 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 it is. And it's quite, it's, I guess in some ways it's encouraging for someone like me who's obviously still at the beginning of the path, you know, to feel that I still get caught up in things so often, but sometimes I do, nowadays I do, I do sort of notice, uh, not, not immediately, but yeah, I might notice a day later or even a week or two weeks later. And I'm like, wow, I was really caught up there. And I guess that is the, the sign that you're gradually, you know, learning, right? Yes. You're gradually sort of, um, yeah, getting somewhere. Um, And that's so important. Yeah. That's reassuring to know it doesn't, I mean, obviously, ideally it's immediate, but, but even if it's not immediate, having that realization at some point is better than never, I guess. Oh, that having it eventually is Dharma practice. There's very, very few people get the, get the, uh, Dhamma insight immediately. And sometimes it is a week later that we look back and say, man, I've been stuck, excuse my colloquial language, uh, that I've been stuck up in my head for the last week. I haven't been here. That's a great realization because now you have the opportunity to bring your mind back in your body and now start living your life. And and again, a, a an unwise Dhamma practitioner would start beating themselves up saying, oh, I just wasted my whole a whole week of my life not being mindful. That's not Dhamma practice, is it? That's not being gentle with ourselves. It's not even an aspect of right view. It's a wrong view to judge ourselves harshly. It's an aspect of right view to feel fortunate that right here, right now, I've united my mind and my body, and I'm not stuck into that, that way of thinking. It's an auspicious moment so, to recognize so just it. One more question relating Please. to, um, you know, not judging yourself harshly and stuff. Um, uh, I, there was just one, one other thing you said where you said, uh, well, I guess the Buddha said this, but um, a f- like this idea that, uh, you know, a fool is someone who knows better, but still doesn't act. Right. Yes. So, so, um, you know, I mean, again, I know, I feel I do know better now, and yet I still obviously don't don't act um, uh, uh, according to the Dharma um, um, in vast um, vast amounts of my life. So, um, I also I, I know what you're going to say in a moment. You're going to say, "Be kind, be gentle on yourself," and stuff like that. But I'm just I'm just curious, like, how does that? How did the How did the Buddha really mean that when when when? When, when he said that. Could you a- ask the question again? Because I think I might have... Right, so, so, so when um, you said, you used the word fool earlier, right? Yeah. And, and, and then you kind of paraphrased it as saying that a fool is someone who knows better, as in knows the Dharma, but still acts without, without any regard for the Dharma. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm just wondering what, if you could just... Uh, sort of elaborate on that a little bit um yeah so um the using the word fool for one thing does the i'm not and the buddha isn't saying that human beings are just fools what he is saying that in relation to the dharma 
when you are a Dhamma practitioner and you don't act in alignment with the Dhamma or within the Dhamma, then you're acting foolishly, isn't it? And you are. That's the definition of a fool, someone who knows better. So, and I'm making that distinction because um, within Dhamma practice, it's important to know let me go back just a little bit. So using the word fool doesn't define us as Dhamma practitioners as fools. But when we know better and we don't act that way, it's important for us to know as individuals that I'm acting foolishly and I shouldn't expect any benefit from it for myself. I'm not, I'm not judging any of you and the Buddha is not judging us from 2,600 years ago as fools. It's important for us to look at ourselves that way. If you want to use a different word, say unskillful, that's okay. But sure. but the, the 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 real the right word really is foolish. It's just the same as I, I learned you know, I learned many many years ago that if I if I hit my my thumb with a hammer it's going to hurt. It'd be foolish for me to to hit myself with a hammer and expect it not to hurt, wouldn't it? It'd be foolish of me to continue living a life rooted in ignorance and not expect it to lead to more stress and suffering. That's the that's the reference to being a fool. Now that I know better. Now that I know how to eliminate the effects of ignorance, it would be foolish for me to continue ignorance, wouldn't it? Got it. That, yeah. yeah uh, thank you so much for bringing that up and for, for, for making me explain it a little better. Because yeah. Yeah. that's the point. You know, they're, they're, um, the Buddha had this remarkable ability rooted in awakening, uh, and it, it comes through in all the suttas, to... to not judge anybody. He doesn't take any anything, anybody, including himself, in the world personally. But that also allowed, and it took me a while to understand this, not, not judging things doesn't mean you don't see things clearly. In fact, it means just the opposite, which also means when you see things that are less than skillful or less than ideal, you also have the ability to speak clearly about it. And you don't have to hedge your words because you're stuck in an ideology that is forcing you to say something that really isn't true. Are you following me? So that that's the common human rhetoric today, isn't it? Or societal rhetoric. It seems like every single person is speaking from this this um, uh, this cloud of conditioned thinking, and nobody's speaking, saying what's on their mind anymore, for a lot of reasons. The Buddha got cut through all of that, and I hope I do when I'm teaching the Dhamma, because it's just this. It's just this one thing. It's just what's what are we doing? And as far as that relating it to karma and rebirth, the the Dhamma is about what I'm holding in mind in this moment. And if what I'm holding in mind in this moment is framed by the Eightfold Path, then I'm inclining my mind towards awakening, towards wisdom, towards the cessation of karma. If not, then I'm inclining my mind toward further ignorance. And it is just that. And we should be that cognizant of the present quality of our mind, but we should also, going back to what, what uh, Tom just said, we should also be very, very gentle with what is on our minds. Because if we're judging the quality of our mind in this present moment in any way harshly, we're almost ensuring that the next moment will be. So when you find yourself caught up in a harsh thought about yourself in the world, take a breath, unite your mind and your body, remind yourself, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am, and you'll move into the next moment uh, with the inclination towards wisdom rather than further ignorance. So thank you all. Uh, does anybody have any questions? All right, we'll continue in ne- again next time. Is there someone else? Dev didn't speak? Oh, I just want to, Dev, Dev, would you like to say hello? It's okay if you don't want to. Sometimes oh, Dev likes to, likes to stay quiet. Oh, okay, fair enough. Give him a second to say hello. 
Hey, or hey, Dev, you want to say hello? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. How are I'm you, Dev? I, it took me a, a moment to figure out how to turn the mic on. I'm, I'm glad you did, Dev. This is the uh, the cross pond saga. Uh, this is Dev. How you doing today, Dev? What do you think of today's class? Um. Yeah, it's, I'm it's, I'm enjoying it because uh, I I I relate with Henrietta. It's hard to uh, figure out like um like a, a question to ask. I'm just like a try, I'm just like in a you know in a, like absorbing. Yeah. Um, so it's very like the questions are being presented are are very helpful. Yeah, and that, that that's fine too. It, it, you'll you'll find as you continue with the classes, you don't always you don't have to talk at all, um, and and uh, so when you don't have a question, that's fine. the The more you hear the same thing over and over again, the Buddha teaches. I think it's Dhammapada sixteen and other places that without repetition there is no Dhamma. Meaning we need to hear these things over and over again, and that's what pierces the veil of our own ignorance. So you did good today, Dev. I'm glad you I'm glad you joined us and said hello. Uh, sure. Stay in touch, too. If you have any questions or comments, send me an email. We'll set up a Zoom call. Uh, and that goes for all of you. If you ever want to, you know, a little bit more time with me, just send me an email. And we'll set that up. Uh, okay. Any other questions or comments? All right. We'll I'd like fit- to have a chat. Uh, I'd like to set up a call with you, if possible, John. But I'll, I'll send you an email about that. Great. I look forward to it. All right. We'll finish with Meta, as we always do. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.